0: Hello and welcome to the BVC podcast. Here at Brownsburg Vineyard Church, we want you to know that we are a group of ordinary people that serve an extraordinary God. Our mission is to honor God and advance his kingdom by building disciples who will give their lives to changing the world. Whether you are local or joining us from a distance, we want to thank you for being a part of our family. To learn more about us, you can visit thebvchurch.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's message. So, um, let me just uh, say a prayer as we turn to God's Word. And so God, I I do thank You for for those songs that we sung, and we do pray that those songs are a a pleasing offering to You, that God, that Your heart is glad when Your children gather together in worship, and that's our created purpose. And so I pray that, God, we would continue to to bring You pleasure um, by... Listening to your word and responding to it, so I pray our um, the openness of our ears and our heart and our willingness to obey would be the greatest sacrifice we give you today, in Jesus' name, Amen. So, some of you know that I had the pleasure of growing up in the Rocky Mountains of British Columbia, Canada. It was one of the most uh, beautiful and picturesque places to grow up. To to wake up every day and to see the sun-capped, snow-capped mountains of the Rockies was just an amazing experience to grow up in, something that I had the privilege of. The problem was, is the privilege of growing up in the Rockies led to me having an issue of pride in my heart. See, I kind of looked down my nose at any other natural picturesque type of place, or when people would talk about things like the beautiful rolling hills of southern Indiana, I would kind of scoff at them. It's like, you don't know what beauty is. And so I kind of walked around a little bit proud that I grew up in this place and looking down on other picturesque natural places. And one of the, one of the ways in which this, this pride kind of made me prejudiced was in particular towards the Grand Canyon. I would hear people talk about the Grand Canyon and planned trips to go see the Grand Canyon. And quite honestly, the thought that I had was this. It's a hole in the ground. Are you serious? Like, have you not seen the Rocky Mountains? Have you ever seen like a sunset that turns the snow-capped mountains of the Rockies pink? Have you ever gone hiking and just seen the glory from a mountain peak? And you... Want to go and see a hole in the ground? Like, I just couldn't comprehend it. And you might even say I was a Grand Canyon phobic. I just didn't value the Grand Canyon. And then something significant happened in my life to change my opinion. My oldest son, Isaac, when he first moved out of the house, he took a job in Arizona. And so we went to visit him in Arizona, and of course, The Grand Canyon was there, so we went to see the Grand Canyon. And I remember distinctly standing there in front of the Grand Canyon and being absolutely gobsmacked, being absolutely humbled by the grandeur of the Grand Canyon. An opinion that I had held for 47 years just vanquished in the sight of the Grand Canyon. And I I remember kind of having this conversation with the Grand Canyon where I was standing there. And if you've ever visited the Grand Canyon, you've had this experience. I was standing there and I pulled out my little handy-dandy camera phone to take a picture of the Grand Canyon. And in that moment, I realized you can't actually take a picture of the Grand Canyon. And through the echoes of the canyon, I could almost hear the Grand Canyon mocking me You puny human with your little iPhone. You can't even take a picture of me. But in that moment, I learned a couple lessons from the Grand Canyon. And the first lesson was this. There are some things in life that you need to personally experience in order to fully appreciate. For those of you who grew up reading the Encyclopedia Britannica, You can read all you want about certain places and certain things, but unless you experience them, you don't know what it is that you're reading. For those who don't know what the Encyclopedia Britannica is, if you've ever read on Wikipedia about things, you might think you know about them, but there are some things that you have to actually experience. You have to be there to fully appreciate. And no picture or no explanation from somebody else will allow you to fully appreciate what the Grand Canyon is, unless you are there. The other thing that I learned from the Grand Canyon is that there are some things in life that no matter how many times you look at them, there is always more to see. Simply looking once, being there once, having one image, taking one picture, does not encapsulate, does not capture everything that it is. So today we are celebrating Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday comes from a story in the Bible where people actually learn the very same lessons about Jesus that I learned about the Grand Canyon that day as I stood there and saw it in a way I'd never seen it before. And on this particular day, a crowd had gathered and many people in that crowd learned these two lessons about Jesus. And the first one was this. You need to personally experience Jesus in order to fully appreciate Jesus. There's a saying that there are no second generation Christians. And the reason is that though we can inherit a lot from our parents and our grandparents, hopefully money, but we can inherit a lot from our parents, but what we can't inherit is faith. You have to have your own faith. You have to have your own personal experience with Jesus Christ to fully appreciate Him. And as much as you can hear other people talk about Jesus, and as much as you can read about Him, you have to have that moment where you meet Jesus in all of His glory. The second lesson that the crowd on this day learned was that no matter how many times you look at Jesus, there will always be more of Jesus to see. The grandeur of the character of Jesus Christ is so immense that it would take an entire lifetime to just begin to scratch the surface of who He is. So today what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at how the people on Palm Sunday learned these lessons. And we're also going to take a look, maybe more importantly, how God is calling us to learn these lessons and the impact that they have on our lives. So we're going to start by reading... Uh, John's account of Palm Sunday. You'll see it up on the screen or it's in your program. It says this, "...the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on His way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet Him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion, see your king." is coming and seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So in this particular story, there are three different groups. And the first group is the experienced followers. So the experienced followers are the ones who had walked with Jesus to some extent, the disciples, and maybe some people who had walked with Him from the beginning, some of them who joined midway through His ministry, some who were there when Lazarus was raised from the dead and joined. So you had these experienced followers who had for themselves a personal experience with Jesus Christ. The second group is you had interested observers. People who had heard about what Jesus did, who had heard about Lazarus being raised from the dead, and they were interested. They wanted to see who Jesus was about. There was an interest level there. And the third group of people in this story were the closed-minded critics. The people who did not care about anything that Jesus had done because they had already made up their mind about who Jesus was. And within these three groups of people, there were some who chose to experience Jesus for the very first time many people here have seen the movie Jesus Revolution, the movie that came out. If you haven't seen the movie Jesus Revolution, I would highly recommend that you see it. Not only does it explain an incredible time in the history of the church, um, as through the, the hippie movement and the sexual revolution of the 60s, into the Jesus People uh, movement and revolution of the early 70s, but it also kind of explains some of the history and background of the Vineyard Church that we are part of. But during that season in our history, late 60s, early 70s, you had these mass revivals. You had people coming in droves to Christ. And that was what Palm Sunday was. Palm Sunday was a spontaneous, organic, mass revival of people coming to Christ. And so you had some people who chose to experience Him and see Him in a way they never had before. He became their Savior. There were some who chose to see Jesus in a way that they had never seen Him before. They knew Jesus. They saw Him do things. But on this particular day, it was as if their eyes were opened and they go, oh, now I see Jesus in a way I had never seen Him before. And then there was a third group of people who chose to refuse to see Him for anything more than their predetermined opinions would allow them to see and the reason we celebrate Palm Sunday isn't just because, as, as Charlie said, it's, it's the beginning of the Passion Week, the beginning of the final week of Jesus' life. But we celebrate Palm Sunday because it's the biggest mass epiphany, the biggest mass aha moment, the biggest realization and revelation in the ministry of Jesus. It was the, the one moment where more people understood more about Jesus than any other time. If, if, if you had like light bulbs over everybody's head, it was the one moment where more light bulbs went on than any other point in Jesus' ministry. This was a point in Jesus' ministry where people went, oh, now I see. The phrase that's famous with Palm Sunday is Hosanna. That's what the people were yelling. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And that's a Hebrew phrase. And it translates, Lord, save us. And so that's what they were saying. Lord, save us. And the significance of that is that though the people, the crowd that had gathered there, they had... Saw Jesus as a, an incredible teacher. People would come around and say, This man is an anointed teacher. They recognized him as like one of the leading rabbis of the day. They had recognized him as a miracle worker, but they didn't quite understand where he got the power. Some people thought that he was Elijah, you know, reincarnated or come back from the dead. They, they saw him as a miracle worker, but they didn't really know where it was coming from. And others just saw him as a celebrity. And everybody wants to get their picture taken with a celebrity. They had seen Him as all of these things, but on this day, when they said, Hosanna, what they were saying is, "Oh, we get it now. He is the Messiah. The long-awaited Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the Deliverer. He is the One who has come to save us. And that's what this moment is about. And so we don't just celebrate this moment as like a historical event, even though it was a historical event. But we also celebrate it as a personal challenge. That every, Sunday, every year when this Sunday comes around on the calendar, it asks us this same question. Are we seeing Jesus for all that Jesus can be in our lives? That's the significance of Palm Sunday. And that is the question of the day. Are we seeing Jesus for all that Jesus can be in our lives? And the lesson that we learn from Palm Sunday is that Jesus will always be more than what we could ever fathom him to be. So we must always be looking for more than what we've ever seen. Jesus is always more than than what our mind can comprehend. The Bible tells us that, that He is beyond our comprehension. He's beyond our understanding. He is broader and deeper and greater and grander than what we could ever imagine. He, he is beyond our, our finite mind. We, we can't comprehend all that He is. And so because He is more than what we could ever see in a single glance, it calls us to a lifetime of looking. It calls us to a lifetime of adding to our perspective, adding to our understanding, adding to our experience. Because He is always more than what we've ever seen before. I, on this very little phone, I have pictures of the Grand Canyon. But what I don't have on this phone is every picture of the Grand Canyon. What I don't have on this phone is a picture from space of the Grand Canyon. I don't have a picture from every single angle of the Grand Canyon. And it's the same with Jesus. In your life, you have pictures of Jesus. You have images of Jesus from certain perspectives, from certain events. And those are great, but what you don't have is you don't have a picture from every angle that Jesus is. You don't have a picture that captures every part of Jesus' character. And so today, I want us to think about two questions as it relates to how we see Jesus and whether we are seeing Jesus for more than we've ever seen Him before. The first question that I want to ask today is, are you settling for the Jesus you've already seen? Are you settling for the Jesus you've already seen? There were people in the crowd who had already seen Jesus. They actually didn't need to be in the crowd if they didn't want to be. They could have said, I've seen Jesus, I've been there, I've done that. I don't need to see any more. I saw Him once already. We wonder. We don't hear about it, but we we wonder. Were there people who had saw Jesus before but didn't make the effort to make it to Jerusalem? who didn't rush to see Jesus because they said, you know what, I saw him last week. I don't need to see him again. I'm not questioning anybody's salvation here. If you've had a personal experience with Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us if you believe with your heart and confess it with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. So I'm not questioning anybody's salvation who's had that experience. But what I am wanting to challenge us with is this idea that it is possible to have a a relationship with Jesus where you never expect Him to be any more than what you've already experienced Him to be. You never expect anything else out of Jesus because you live your relationship out based on your past experiences, but not on a pursuit of knowing Him and seeing Him for things that He has never yet been to you or seeing Him through things that you've never yet been through. And I think it is possible, and it's one of the dangers of the faith, to get to the point where our past experiences experiences, our past encounters with Jesus limit us from expecting more from Jesus. One of the greatest dangers of the Christian faith is settling for what we've already seen. Settling for what we've already experienced. And not pressing in, not pursuing, not seeking anything more. Every experience that you have with Jesus Christ is real, it's genuine, it's substantive, it's significant, it's meaningful. You could go on with the adjectives that describe the encounters that you've already had with Jesus Christ. But one adjective that you cannot use to describe your experience with Jesus is this. It's not complete. It's not all-encompassing. But for you and for me, there is way more to see of Jesus than what we've already seen. I've already said to you that, that I, I could say I've already experienced the Grand Canyon. I could cross the Grand Canyon off of my bucket list. After all, I spent a day and a half there. Right? I can cross the Grand Canyon off. I've been there. I've done that. But how naive would it be for me, in a sense, how disrespectful of the Grand Canyon itself would it be for me to think that I've experienced the entirety of the Grand Canyon in the 36 hours that i spent there. There were people in this story who thought that they knew everything that there was to know about Jesus. Been there, done that, seen Him, saw Him. I know who He is. And they thought in some sense, that they had captured an image of Jesus and they were good. I know who He is and what He looks like. So they had no expectation. If you remember a little bit earlier in the ministry and then in the life of Jesus, He actually went back to His hometown. And He had difficulty doing miracles there. And It says this in, in Matthew 13. It says, And these are the people from His hometown, the people He grew up with. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? They said, isn't this the carpenter's son? So let's just break that down for a second. It was as if Jesus comes back and Jesus is somebody who he wasn't when he used to live in his hometown. He had become something else. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. His ministry was inaugurated. He was a totally different person in a totally different place. Uh, Who he was had now been revealed. Uh, And and so, so those who had seen him previously growing up did not see this side of Jesus. But what they said is they kind of scrolled through their photos and go, oh, wait a second, I've got a picture of this guy. Here he is sanding a piece of wood. I know who he is. And because they had that previous experience with him, they couldn't imagine Him being anything else. And so their past experience with Jesus limited what they could expect from them. And then that story goes on to say, and He did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. See, they knew Jesus as the son of a carpenter. They may have even done business with Jesus. And that past experience has kept them from knowing Him as anything more. And so we have to be careful... That our past experiences with Jesus don't prevent us from seeing who he wants to be to you and to me today. The Christian life is meant to be dynamic and not static. The Christian life is meant to be dynamic in that it's always evolving. It's always growing. It's always broadening in its perspective. The Christian faith is is about understanding who Jesus is more deeply than you've ever before. It, it's, it's about... It's about uh, experiencing His presence, experiencing His rest. We just finished a series on hearing the voice of God. It's about hearing the voice of Jesus more than we've ever heard it before, more clearly than we've ever heard it before. It's about understanding the depths and the richness of His character and kind of adding to our understanding and adding to our portfolio, adding to our catalog of pictures. That's what the Christian faith is about. It's not meant to be this static, static, Faith of this static religion where we capture Jesus in a single photograph and we say, That's who Jesus is to me. This is really summarized in a conversation that Jesus had with Peter, if you remember. The disciples were telling Jesus who the crowds were saying that he was, and Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Who do you say that I am? Interestingly enough, in about two months, we're going to be doing a series called The Questions That God Asks. And it's all about the questions that God asks people in the Bible. And there's some significant stories there, interesting stories, where God or Jesus asks people questions. I would argue that this question, who do you say that I am, is the single most significant question that you'll ever find in the Bible. Beyond any other question, this one question gets to the heart of the issue more than any other question. Who do you say that I am? And when Jesus asked Peter this question, there were a couple implicit things, a couple of things that were implicit in this question. And first the first thing that was implicit was Jesus, or Peter, who do you say that I am? Jesus wasn't interested in what other people were saying. He wasn't interested in what Peter knew of Jesus based on other people's experience. He was saying, Peter, who have you personally experienced me to be? In our relationship, what have you learned about me? From the very beginning, when you started walking to me, until this day, who do you say that I am? What have you learned about me, Peter? I want your answer. How have you personally come to know me? Show me, show me your photograph of me, Peter. Tell me what you've seen. The other implicit thing in the question was that the question was meant to be contemporary. It was meant to have a contemporary answer. By that, I mean... What Jesus was saying to Peter is, Peter, who do you say that I am today? In other words, you have been walking with me for three years, and when you first started walking with me, you barely knew me. But with every day, and with every week, and with every month, and with every miracle, and with every deliverance, and with every teaching, and with the number of times that you've laid your head on my chest, and we have been in that deep place of relationship, Who do you now know me to be? Who do you know me to be today? And how is that different than who you thought I was when we first started walking together? Maybe the other implicit thing in that question that Jesus asked was that he wasn't just asking Peter that question. But he was asking you and I that question. So who do you say that Jesus is? How would you answer that question? For me, if somebody said, Dennis, who do you say that Jesus is? I would say, Jesus is a friend that is closer than a brother. Because in the times when I didn't have any friends, when there was no one willing to sit there with me, Jesus came and sat there with me. So I know, not from the Encyclopedia Britannica, but I know that Jesus is a friend because He's been a friend to me. I know that Jesus is merciful and forgiven. Why? Let me tell you of the things in my life that Jesus has forgiven me for. As we sung today, I know that Jesus has a depth of love in His heart that I can never understand because despite the times that I have disappointed Him and chosen to walk away from Him or in a different rhythm than Him, He has always drawn me in by His love. I know that Jesus is power because I've experienced His power working through me. How would you answer that question? I know Jesus today in a way that I didn't know Him when I was 16 years old and accepted Him into my life. There are things that I can tell you about Jesus today that I had no clue of before. Do you have a static image Of Jesus Christ or a dynamic one? Who would you say that Jesus is? And how fresh and how recent is that picture or is that answer? Second question that I want to ask today is, are you seeking the Jesus that you've not yet seen? There were people who had seen Jesus and known Jesus to, to some extent, but it wasn't until this day that they had an aha moment. And then that they saw Him for, for something more. And it would be easy for us to look and go, oh, they all have this aha moment, but, but not to kind of may, maybe roll the tape back a little bit and, and ask what led up to this aha moment. And there's a very simple thing that I don't want us to overlook that kind of contributed to this aha moment, or this aha moment was a derivative or a byproduct of. And it was simply this, that the aha moment was a derivative or a byproduct of the fact that they had chosen to be there And not elsewhere. This little phrase, being there instead of elsewhere, is repeated over and over again in Scripture. We are called to be there and not elsewhere. If you are really seeking to know Jesus, then you need to be there and not elsewhere. They were in Jerusalem. The people who experienced this aha moment had come to seek Him, had come to see Him. They were there. They were there when it happened because they had chosen to be there. They could have been elsewhere. They could have been tending their flocks. They could have been tending their fields. They could have been hanging out with friends. But they weren't elsewhere. They were there. And so they were there when that aha moment happened. And so there is this sense that, that in the background or the precursor to the to Palm Sunday and to, to this mass revival and to this mass aha moment, the, 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 the scene that immediately followed that was all of these people in some way or in some shape deciding, we've got to get to Jerusalem. We have got to be there to see Him. And that is a challenge to us. Are you being there in your pursuit of Jesus, or are you busy being elsewhere? And if we really want to see a Jesus that we've not yet seen before, we need to be willing to be there and not elsewhere. I today would still have had the same opinion about the Grand Canyon had I not actually gone there. That's what changed my opinion. Are you going to the places you need to go to to see the Jesus you haven't yet seen before? What was interesting about this story is on its face, there was a single aha moment. The crowd had this aha moment. But there's actually more to this story. There was a second aha moment that happened in, relation to the, in relationship to this story, but it actually happened about two months later. But was the what it says in the story. After, or at first... His disciples did not understand this. So when it says at first, on Palm Sunday, when all of this happened and the mass revival happened and the people are shouting and, and, and throwing the palm branches down and throwing the coats down and the Pharisees are mad, the disciples were taking it all in and they were obviously celebrating it and, and they were appreciating it to some extent, but the more was to follow. At first, His disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize or see that these things had been written about him and all that and, that and that these things had been done to him. So here's what happened. The disciples saw Palm Sunday for what it was, but it wasn't until a couple months ago, as, as this verse says, after he was glorified. So here's what happens. Palm Sunday happens on a Sunday. Then you have the rest of the Passion Week that happened. So you have the Last Supper happened. You have Judas betraying Jesus. You have uh, the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prays, saying, Not my will, but yours be done. You have Judas coming and kissing Jesus on the cheek. You have Jesus being arrested, Peter cutting the ear of the soldier off. You have Jesus being put on trial. You have him being beaten. Then you have him uh, walking to the hill, and then you have him being crucified, and the skies opening and everything turning black and then you have Him dying, and then you have three days of Him in the grave, and then you have the resurrection, and then you have about a month or so of Jesus coming back and making all of these appearances, and then you have the ascension where they're trying to hold on to Him, and He says, you can't hold on to Me. I need to go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. All of that happened, and it wasn't until they see Jesus going up into heaven that they had this second aha moment. That they go, oh, now we see something today, two months later, that we didn't see on Palm Sunday. Now it's all fitting in together. And so what does that part of the story tells us? It tells us that the Palm Sunday set in motion this, this standard or this pattern that your life and my life is supposed to be marked by these ongoing, continual aha moments. That your life and my life is supposed to be marked by these moments where you go, oh... Now I see what Jesus was doing in my life. At the time, I didn't see who Jesus was. And then we go on a little further and we go, oh, now I understand the love of Jesus in a way I've never understood. Or, oh, wow, now that He's forgiven me of this, I understand the depths of His forgiveness more than I ever have before. Or, oh, wow, now I understand His generosity more than I've ever understood it before. And that is supposed to be the normative pattern of the Christian life. Where we are constantly having these aha moments where it's like, oh, let me show you this picture. I've never seen this before. Have you ever seen Jesus in this picture? Have you ever seen Jesus from this perspective? Did you know this about Jesus? I never knew that about Him. That's supposed to be normative for us. We are supposed to, on a continual basis, see a Jesus we've never seen before. Jeremiah 29-13 says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. What the Bible is telling us in that verse and so many other verses is is that the only way to see all of Jesus is to seek Jesus with all your heart. Now, if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, you know that there are a lot of different ways to see the Grand Canyon. Other than just taking a little bit of a hike. You can see the Grand Canyon from a helicopter. Is anybody here taking a helicopter over the Grand Canyon? Oh, that'd be amazing. I'm a little afraid of heights, so I don't know how that would happen. But You can see the Grand Canyon from a helicopter. You can walk... I can't do it. I was going to stand on the edge. You can walk on this sky bridge that actually goes out into the canyon, and you're walking on, on this glass walkway. And you can actually kind of be suspended over the Grand Canyon. You've got to be crazy to do that. You can ride horseback down the Grand Canyon. We saw that. We had to move out of the way so the horses could get by. Interesting. You can take ATV tours. Through the Grand Canyon. You can camp at the bottom of the uh, Grand Canyon. You can kayak down the Colorado River. You can whitewater raft down the Colorado River. And there's even a train that goes through the Grand Canyon. If you really wanted to experience the Grand Canyon, if your life was defined by what you wanted to know or your experience with the Grand Canyon, if the goal of your life and what defined you was seeing and knowing and having a relationship with the Grand Canyon, you would be willing to do all of those things no matter the cost. I remember when we were at the Grand Canyon, we found out that it cost $75 to do that skywalk bridge. And if you know me, you know I'm not spending $75. And I thought to myself, I'm not spending $75 after all. This is just a hole in the ground. It's not like the Rocky Mountains. We didn't spend it. There are so many ways that you and I can seek Jesus, no matter how many ways we've seen Jesus before. So the question that we have to ask of ourselves, the question that Palm Sunday begs, is are you seeking the Jesus you haven't seen, even if it costs you more than you've ever paid before? Are you willing to pay a price to move out of your comfort zone? things you've never done before. To go places you've never been before. To see a Jesus that you've never seen before. Are you willing to say, you know what, I've read the Bible in different ways, but I've never read the Bible cover to cover. So Jesus, I'm going to read the Bible cover to cover because I want to see You. Show, show me You as I go through each and every book. Maybe you want to say, you know what, Jesus, I'm I'm going to spend a whole year in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that describe all of your ministries. I'm I'm, I'm going to spend a year reading the Gospels over and over again and and see you now, Jesus, maybe I'm just going to spend uh, the whole year reading three verses a day and then just waiting and resting and saying, Jesus, speak to me what you want me to know about these three verses. There are so many ways you can approach the Word of God to see Jesus in ways that you've never seen Him before if you are that interested. We can serve Jesus in a way we've never served before. We can serve more sacrificially when we've, than we've ever served before. Jesus said, I came not to be to serve, not to be served. And so if something happens, when we're willing to bend our knee and to bend our pride and humility wash somebody else's feet, to love someone, and in this place of absolute humility and absolute service where we are sacrificing everything that we have to serve another person, from this posture and from this perspective, you're going to see something about Jesus you've never seen before. And when you're willing to wash the feet of someone, when you're willing to wash the feet of your enemy or a person that has hurt you, You're going to see something about the forgiveness and the grace and mercy of Jesus you never saw before. And even though it costs you to be in this posture, you're going to walk away and say, I would pay twice the price to have gained what I gained from that perspective. Are you serving in a way you've never served before because you want to see Jesus in a way you've never seen Him before? We're kind of... Coming to the end of Lent, for those of you who grew up Catholic, you're more familiar with this. This is 40 days leading up to Easter where you sacrifice something, you give up something. We saw that Jesus fasted and in, in a preparation for his ministry. Are you willing to give something up, to forego something, to kind of deny your flesh and say, Jesus, you denied the glory and the splendor of heaven so that you could come to earth. You gave all that up. So God, I want to willingly surrender myself uh, to to a place of sacrifice so that I might see you from that perspective. Because I've never seen you from that perspective. Maybe Jesus is calling you to pray differently than you've ever prayed before. Pray with more expectation. Say, Jesus, I've always prayed at this level, but I want to see you do things at this level. So I'm going to pray differently than ever before the church. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, and so may, maybe you've never experienced the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe there's a gift of the Holy Spirit that you've experienced, but but not all of them. And, and so, so maybe experiencing Jesus in a way you've never experienced Him before means that you pursue the gifts of the Holy Spirit or a gift of the Holy Spirit that you've never pursued before because you want to see Jesus through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Show me what it means to to minister and to live in the power of the Holy Spirit like you did. Maybe seeing the Jesus that you've never seen before means that you get on a plane and you go cross-culturally to a place, to a country, to a people, and you say, I want to see Jesus from a whole different place and perspective than how I see Him as an American. Help me see Jesus through the eyes of an African, of a South American, of an Asian. Help me see Jesus through the eyes of someone who has to pay the price to worship every single Sunday. Help me to see Jesus through the eyes of someone who has to depend on Jesus for their very next meal. I want to see Jesus from that perspective. Because it's one thing for me to believe in Jesus when I have all the resources in the world, but let me see Jesus and know Jesus and trust Jesus from a whole different place than ever before. See, seeking Jesus, seeking the Jesus that you've not ever seen before is not a passive activity. And it's going to cost you something. Are you willing to pay the price to see the Jesus that you've never seen before? I'm going to invite the, the band up now. a great verse in Philippians 3.10. And this is from the Amplified Version. And the Amplified Version kind of expands. And it says this, Philippians 3.10, For my determined purpose is that I might know Him, that I might progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of His person more strongly and more clearly and that I may in that same way come to know the power outfalling from His resurrection. What an incredible verse, huh? Is that true of us? And my prayer today is that each one of us would be able to say for my determined purpose is that I may know Him progressively and that I may progressively become more deeply intimate and acquainted with Him. Jesus, You are more than what we have ever seen or known or experienced before. You are more wonderful, more grand, more great, more complex, more powerful. You're better than what we've ever imagined before. So I pray this day, God, that You would stir in our hearts to want to have our own aha moment. I pray even today, God, that we would see You in a way we've never seen You before. May the answer to that question, who do You say that I am, may that that answer be fresh and new, like dew on the grass in the morning. May our knowledge of You have a sense of freshness. God, work in our hearts to make that happen. So here's what we're going to do to, to close the service today. Kind of a, an interactive... So the worship team's going to play through this song. And, and we have a palm, palm branches up here. I believe we have enough for everyone. And attached to the palm branches are these prayers about five or six different prayers that are, that are attached. And so this is just a way for you to engage. So as they play this last song, I want to encourage everybody to come up, uh, come through the, the middle aisles and go back through the outside aisles and grab a palm branch and return to your seats. And, um, and then after we sing through this song and everybody gra- grabs a palm branch, I'm going to be back and, and we'll, we'll invite up the prayer team at that point. But let's stand together and let's sing this song together. And as the band sings this song, come forward and grab a palm branch. Uh, and then return to your feet.